You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. Okay, getting started. Hello, hello. Hello. Great to see everybody. Come on in and we'll go ahead and get started. Um, we'll go. There we go. <laughs> that's my lieutenant right there. That's my lieutenant right Oh, very good. Thank you. Oh, that sounds better. That's great. Great to see everybody. I see a lot of new faces and I see a few old faces. And I see some happy faces, and I see a little bit of all the faces. It's great. Thank you for coming to the mental health class today. Um, I've done a couple of these, and I'm always curious, sort of the feedback. This is still a little bit of new territory for us. Um, so I am really, hopefully we'll have plenty of time for some Q&A afterwards. But your feedback is appreciated which um, is a little bit of our new day and age. You can't go to Subway and get a sandwich today without... We please fill this out and tell us how the mayonnaise was, um, which is helpful. But let's bow our heads and have a little word of prayer as we get started. Father, it's great to be together today. I'm thinking about all these people and their stories. We all were created in our mother's womb. And we all have a childhood, a history, a story. We all have some victories, and we all have some bruises. And Father, um, we know that you're the God that created the brain and the body. And we know you're a God that heals and grows and creates. And God, I pray your Spirit's moving in us today to um, have a greater, deeper, richer experience with you with ourselves and with our life. So thankful for all the blessings. So thankful for our souls, for salvation. So thankful for Jesus, who teaches us how to be uh, a healthy, peaceful person. Be with this class. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I should do a little introduction before we get started. And this is, um, we're doing a little bit of a dance, a little bit of a two-parter. So I'm going to do the first part of our class, and then I'm going to hand off. I've got a it's show and tell. I've got a little bit of a show and tell person. Uh, Tim um, Priestley, who many of you know, is going to come and do the, I don't know if you're show or tell. You get to decide when you come up later. You get to decide when you come up later. So I uh, did not grow up in a religious home. Uh, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in a really liberal family that was not a God family. And I had a um, girlfriend, sort of first love of my life, die in a car crash when I was in high school. And um, I don't know, I'm a bit of a happy-go-lucky type, I think, and I'm an athlete, I'm a basketball player, and I just never really dealt with any negative emotion or experiences up to that point in my life. And so for the first time in my life, I experienced some sleeplessness. Anybody ever have insomnia? That's no fun. This is how I became a reader. Um, Why did you read The Lord of the Rings? 
there's nothing else to do at two in the morning when you can't fall asleep. The other thing I did was, really, one of the first times ever I went to church was for her funeral. And I was confronted with this whole big new world of spirituality, heaven and hell and good and bad and God and the devil. I had never thought about any of that in my life before. So I better grab one of these books and take it home with me so I can figure out this, what's going on here. I'm sure God will understand. And, um, and so that's the other thing I did at two in the morning after I finished the Lord of the Rings was, um, you know, and like everybody, you just think it's a book. So you start in Genesis and you get to the begats in chapter five and you're almost done. Um, that's the best ambient I've ever had. It just knocked me right out. I never made it through Leviticus. Bam. A lot of addiction in my family. A lot of addiction in my family. Alcoholic father, and on his side, um, grandpa and grandma, alcoholics, his brother, his my uncle, his sister, my aunt, all my cousins. Um, none, nobody on my father's side of the family just knows how to be sober. To be addicted is normal. Uh, 18, 18, I'm off to college. And I'm not doing good. I'm not doing good. I went to go play basketball. I was in Seattle. And I just really, again, too many unresolved issues and uh, alcoholic dad and just some loss and grief. And I just experienced my first sort of depression ever. I didn't have friends and I didn't know how to cope and really struggled with um, life. And this kind of thinking can really get away from you quickly. And I just really felt like a lost person. I couldn't think straight, and I felt like I was disconnected from my body. And um, I couldn't experience any joy. And I just really thought I was kind of going crazy. That escalated into some serious self-harm stuff. I started cutting myself with knives. And I found that to be really soothing. That was the only time I felt okay. Um, I was insistent not to become an alcoholic because all the men and everybody in my family is alcoholics, so got like this averse thing to alcohol. But I really believe in a lot of ways I became addicted to cutting. It just is how I coped and it's how I sort of dealt and it's how I felt okay. And it was a thing that I looked forward to, almost like a reward. And you know, I would obsessively think about it. And um, these things, you know, we hide all of these things. We hide all of these things. Uh, I remember playing basketball and after practice, one of the guys on the team um, came up to me. He's like, wow, you're one of these guys. And I thought he'd sort of figured me out. I go, yeah, what do you mean? He goes, you just got it all together. You kind of make life look easy. And I was so close. I was like, oh, God, you have no idea. And I felt, I felt it. Like, this is an opportunity. I can sort of come clean. I need a little help. I don't know what to do. I need to talk to somebody. It'd be nice to talk to him. And you have that pause. His name is Rick. I go, well, Rick, you know... I don't know what to say. Um, some guys got it and some guys don't, I guess. <laughs> He's like, yeah. 
And I walked away. I'm like, you're so stupid. Um, but a lot of us, we don't know how to talk about these things. Like, where would I even begin? What, I don't even have the words. I don't have the language. And how embarrassing. Um, so, uh, left, transferred from Seattle to UC San Diego. So I was baptized in 1988 right here on the bluffs in San Diego. And um, that was great. Great experience. I found somebody to talk to. I opened up about what was going on in my life. We didn't deal with depression then. It was just, your disciple, go get him. Which was better. But not enough. Um, so some of that stuff really lingered with me. And I battled. I battled uh, for a good couple of years. And did I get healthy? You just grow. You just grow. I don't know if I ever totally got healthy because a lot of the, that stuff leaves some emotional scar tissue with you. And I, I needed to process and open up some of the box of this stuff. And I never really did. Um, went into the ministry. Married. Went into the ministry. Great blessing. Did some great stuff in the ministry. We planted the church in Austin. Led the church in Denver. Did some great campus ministry work at UCLA. Let's go Bruins. And uh, just great stuff. I just, again, feel so blessed from those, so many good memories from that stuff. Um, you know, these things come back, recurrent patterns. Man, I'm kind of depressed again. I feel it coming. I don't know what to do. And I was coming to a crossroads in life, uh, needing to make a decision about, am I going to stay full-time ministry? I went back to school, became an MFT. So becoming an MFT was a great experience for me just because you got to go back to school, a lot of structure, learning, keeps the mind busy. And I just learned a lot more about people. You gotta do a lot of hours to become an MFT. You gotta do 3,500 supervised hours. That's a lot of hours. And my first internship was in a chronically ill clinic with mostly schizophrenics. So that just really changes you when you listen to schizophrenics every day try and make sense out of their life. It's frightening. It's absolutely frightening. And it does make you, it sends you back to God. Like, what is going on? And how do you help these people? How, what, what can I do to actually help these people? I think it was a lot more about me learning to listen and understand, non-anxious presence, be there with another person. That kind of experience was super good for me, really rich. So um, I'm try- I've been trying to figure out how to do ministry and therapy, and I think there's a lot of that that's been really great. And I think some of that we're still trying to figure out how do you do ministry and therapy. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but um, it's changed me a lot, and I feel really grateful. And here's a couple things that I want to share today. So this is a, a song I'm going to show you about a minute of a song to kind of set up our talk here a little bit. Many of you have heard this song. It's So Will I by Hillsong. And we're about three and a half minutes into the song. God of salvation Chase down my heart Through all of my failure and pride On a hill you created Light of the world Abandoned in darkness to die And as you speak, a hundred billion things disappear. We well, you lost your life so I can find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will 
Isn't that great? As you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Just let that settle in. There isn't anybody, unless you have a pretty serious personality disorder, that doesn't experience failure as really painful. And a lot of our failure stories, again, they leave some real scar tissue. They fill our minds with all the things that we can't do. And then we'll think about those things over and over again. A little food for thought, a little trivia. You have um, 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot of thoughts. That's why you're so tired at the end of the day. <laughs> About 80% of those thoughts are negative. And over 90% of those thoughts are repetitive. So most of our days, just let that sink in. <laughs> We're having all these thoughts, take up all this space, and you have about 100 billion neurons in your brain. That's, a, that's just, try and calculate that. That's just remarkable. And what's, the, what's it doing? What's the attention? What's the attention on? The attention is upon a failure, a loss, a defeat, a conflict, something negative. And then it spins. We, the word is ruminate. We ruminate over and over. Uh, it can become obsessive, but we'll just, um, can, can become so difficult to get your attention off that thing onto the thing you really want to be thinking about. And the thing you really want to be thinking about, that tends to not stick very well in the brain. We come back to our old bruises, our failure stories, our pain stories. So there's no real spirituality without some pain. And I think spirituality is our best framework for pain and what we do with the pain stories in our lives. What do I mean by that? I'll come back in a second. In America, we're very pain-averse. Painkillers are the second largest pharmaceutical in the whole world behind cancer drugs. And last year, in America, there were 300 million prescriptions alone. There's roughly 350 million people in America. We consume roughly 80% of the global um, supply of painkillers. So we are in this culture that is not having a good relationship with pain. We're taking pill, too many pills, or we're numbing, avoiding. And it's America, so everything is bright, happy, shiny people, or we're trying to pretend that we're a bright, shiny, happy person. And that doesn't work very long. And so you gotta come to some kind of peace with the pain that's in your story. I've read a number of books from a, 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 a great teacher, his name's Richard Rohr, and he was a Catholic priest, uh, was doing these sermons as a young man, and eight people were there. And then he'd see a hundred people come in after the service is over, all go down into the basement. And they looked sort of beat up and bruised and torn clothes and smelled like smoke. And who are all these people? Where, why are they so late to church? They don't even come to church. They go downstairs into the basement. They're going to the AA meetings. And so he follows them down into the AA meeting, and he goes to his first AA meeting, and he goes, oh, this is the church. 
People are really being open. People are really dealing with their hurts and their pains. People are trying to support each other. Nobody's sermonizing. Wow, this is remarkable. He goes back to school and becomes a therapist. And he said, all spirituality, all pain, sorry, back up. All spirituality is about what we do with our pain. And if you don't transform your pain, you'll transmit your pain. Right? Just hold on to that one. And that pain also is the thing that allows us to really see what's going on in our lives. And so it's always through pain that we have an open opening experience. Oh, wow. Um, blinders off. Saul, Paul on the road to Damascus. It's usually pain. We'd like something that feels a little better. But it's usually pain that kind of opens up our eyes and goes, Oh, wow. The world is different than what I thought. Uh, I need to make some decisions. I've got to grow. I've got to, I've got to do something different with my life. So these are great passages. You love these passages. I love these passages. I used to think of these passages as a little bit of the hallmark passages in the Bible. Hallmark loves these passages. I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. Thank you. In this world you have trouble. I know. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Isn't that nice? What a great thought. But... I'd look at that word peace and I'd go, what does that mean? And as a young Christian, I'd think, peace, I have peace because I know I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. I don't think you really have peace in life because you have to talk to people. (laughs) I'm that guy. (laughs) And I wake up in the morning and I'm kind of I'm at peace and I have some coffee I have a little more peace and then I start talking to people I'm like oh it's gone <laughs> and I'm a therapist <laughs> so wow that was cool see no more peace I know well, that's good that's great more peace uh, peace came back that's great So, when do you experience peace? Do you value peace? What's a peaceful version of you? How do you get more of that person? How do you get more of that person? Okay? So, real quick, let's do a little bit of biology. Is anybody familiar with um, EMDR, this new treatment called EMDR, a handful of people? EMDR is very popular right now. It's new that we're using for folks that have gone through trauma. And it's called EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And so what we try and do is create a safe space for the person. They bring up the trauma, remember it in a safe environment. And they reprocess it. And there's some things that you do and you talk about to help reprocess it. It's founded in two things. Memory reconsolidation, because we're always remembering. And this thing that's going on in the nervous system. So you've got nervous system in your body. And think of it, the simplest way to think about it is you have an accelerator. Accelerator is usually on this side. You have an accelerator and a brake. And when the accelerator is on, you're having a stress reaction. 
It could be a boss. It could be traffic. It could be a sibling. It could be a parent. It could be a roommate. It could be a bill. It could be anything. It's going to stimulate the accelerator, and you're going to have a stress reaction, and you're going to experience some of these fun emotions. Frustration, worry, concern, anger, irritation, rage, panic. We've all been there before, correct? Um, when there's a threshold where you feel overwhelmed, and you're going to go into some bad places. You're going to dissociate a little, become numb, go into depression, have some serious anxiety issues, have panic attacks. A panic attack really is kind of a fascinating thing. What this does is it triggers, stimulates a ton of adrenaline and cortisol that's in your bloodstream. That's awesome for fighting a bear. That's terrible for trying to do spreadsheets or have a conversation with somebody or resolve conflict or anything like that. And so everybody has a threshold in which there's too much adrenaline and cortisol and you go into something in which you feel like you're going crazy a little bit but your heart starts racing and you think you're having a heart attack and your limbs go wonky and lots of people are off to the hospital for a panic attack and that is your body saying too much adrenaline too much cortisol we're going to throw you into this state and again you feel out of control but what it does is drains the bo- the blood of all that adrenaline and cortisol okay the break is called the parasympathetic nervous system all right that starts at the back of your brain. You got a big the, it's the biggest nerve in the body. It's called the it's called the vagus nerve. It's huge and it's the back of your brain and it literally goes right down into your body. And 500 million or so nerves go right into your heart from that nerve. And another 500 million or so go right into your gut. And we stimulate that nerve. One of the easiest ways to stimulate that nerve is simply by breathing. And this is why all the yoga people are kind of freaking out over, take a deep breath. (laughs) Wow, why are they always wanting me to take a deep breath? As if I would forget to breathe. (laughs) But when you take a deep breath, you stimulate, stimulate the vagus nerve. And that is a nice calming effect on your heart. And on your gut. And you want to get into that state. And so when we come down out of that, we get down into this green zone, which is where we want to be. That's when we feel present. That's when we feel grounded. That's when we feel curious and open. That's when we feel compassion. That's when there's a sense of mindfulness. Ah, that's that, that's that sunset moment. Or in the morning, that's our coffee moment. Or that's our sandwich lunch moment. Something like this. But this is when we make good relationships. This is when we have good conversations. This is when we're having our best thoughts. This is when we're experiencing peace. And this is why we've got to value Jesus in John 16 talking about peace. He is not patting us on the head like good little boys and girls and go off into the world and get kicked in the mouth, but don't worry about it because you're going to heaven. That's not how we want to read those passages. We want to experience peace now. We want to experience it today. 
And so our big challenge is turning pain into peace. That's the transformative power of peace. How do you take pain and create peace? Okay, let me do let me back up all the way to back up all the way to Genesis 1. This is profound, I believe, because I think this is how God how the story starts. This is how your story starts and let me just explain real fast. Now, the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay. The word darkness there, the word is tehud. I don't know. It's a T-E or a T-A. It's a difficult word to translate. H-U-D, something like that. And it's the word for tiamat. And tiamat is a borrowed figure out of Babylonian mythology. She was this goddess of chaos that consumed all things. So the writer of Genesis is saying, at the very beginning there was God, and there was the earth, and the earth was formless and void, but Tiamat was there. Chaos was there. Chaos that wants to consume all things. And what do we know? We know in verse th- in the next verse, verse 3, He speaks light into the darkness. So our lives begin a little bit like this, kind of empty. Your life story starts sort of empty. Your job or role is to fill out your life story. And you want to be the editor, the writer of your life story. And if we could just put you in control, you're a Christian person, you would do awesome things, always do awesome things. But what happens? Tiamat always shows up. We still have chaos that shows up in our life every day. Some of us feel that's financial. Some of us feel that's relational. Some of us feel that's physical. Some of us feel that's emotional. Tiamat's going to show up every day in life. Now what I love about this, what God does, is He doesn't just do it once. And I think a lot of us sort of think like that. I got baptized to get rid of all the chaos, and I should be done with chaos. Chaos is going to show up every single day. We have a few parents out here, right? Chaos shows up every single day. And we get hungry. Chaos shows up every single day. What do you do with chaos? That's really significant. Does chaos make you angry? Does chaos make you sad? Does chaos make you pout? Does chaos make you jealous? I, Psalm 73, I wish I had their lives. They've got these great lives. Chaos is always going to throw us into one of those kinds of places. And what does God do? He takes seven days to deal with chaos. He deals with chaos every day. And first day, we're going to do some of the big stuff. Universe and stars and sun. And then we're going to, and then we're going to do mountains. Okay, that's enough. And then we're going to do, um, animals. They're cute. That's more of that. And then we're going to do, um, man. He's a little messy. We'll save him for the end. Um, but what happens, it's right. Read it. It's remarkable. Um, at the end of every day, it was evening and morning, the end of whatever day, third, fourth, fifth, sixth day. Why? Why is he reversing order, evening and morning? Because I think every day we start in darkness. But you have to move toward light. This is why we are supposed to be the experience of quiet time. But that doesn't. We most of us need a lot more than that. 
You need some sort of structured self-care, some sort of structured light, some sort of structured activity that helps you deal in a healthy way with chaos. How, what's your strategy for dealing with chaos in your life? That's profound. Um, this is this is taken from this Japanese art form called kintsuji. And what they do is, literally, they just take a pot and they bust the pot. And then they take this lacquer and glue and and they put the thing back together. And doesn't that look cool? We've got all this gold filament in there. And it looks, frankly, a lot more interesting than just a simple ceramic pot. Well, that's what God's trying to do with your heart and your mind. There's cracks in everything. It's how the light gets in. Now, we don't like our cracks. They embarrass us. They create chaos. They're upsetting. The lacquer and the gold, that's God's work. That's the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus working in our life. And so you've got to sort of this mental image picture of this is what's going on inside of me right now. All right? And this is what getting healthy and healing is all about. Vegas nerve. So a simple thing you can do, we'll do it right now. Take a deep breath. Yeah. And try and find a little stress that's in your face and jaws, cheeks. I I hold stress in here. and Take another breath. Right? And, you know, wherever you hold stress, maybe some in your neck or your shoulders or your gut, try and think of um, your body letting go of your stress through a breath. And something that's been really helpful for me, I might do this five times a day, I might do it a hundred times a day. I'll say this three times. Be still. And know that I'm God. And then I'll take a deep breath. And then I'll do it again, but I'll do it a little slower. Be still and know that I am God. Deep breath. Be still and know that I am God. And then I might just say, be still. What do I notice? What am I seeing? What's happening in my life? Okay, what was I doing? Um, a spreadsheet. Okay, now I can get back to my activity, whatever your activity is. Okay, that's a simple little thing. Stimulating the nerve. Spiritual, great cognitive frame. You're surrendering life to God. The simplest little exercise Really, really helpful. And then you can take that and add all kinds of things into it. We're familiar with these iceberg things, right? Carl Jung said, most of our difficult issues are chronic in nature. These issues aren't changed as much as they're outgrown. And so we imagine that we've got these icebergs of emotional damage, family damage, financial damage, Whatever it might be. 
I know that Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he makes everything beautiful in its time. So God's going to take care of our icebergs. Maybe I don't have to be as burdened as I normally am. Maybe that iceberg is something more like soil. What if that iceberg is something more like soil? And God's trying to add something into it. And instead of sort of being afraid of and burdened with these icebergs, we imagine, now God's, we call it sort of acceptance therapy. I am in God's hands, and He is trying to do something with me. He's trying to add some soil in there. That's where we want to try and go. So you can't control your outcome. But I think you can control your path. When do you feel like you're on that road? When I'm talking to my mom. When I'm talking to my roommate. When I'm talking to my boss. When I open the bills. When I go on a date. You don't want to make a false step, right? (laughs) Kind of feel like you need to be perfect on that road. Oh, that's a different road. That's a different road. That might be the same conversation with mom, same boss, or same date. You can't control your outcome, but you can control your path. When do you feel like you're here? And when do you feel like you're here? Okay, again, God's going to control outcome. You want to create as much of this out of that as you can. And a lot of being present, and a lot of trust, and a lot of acceptance, and a lot of growth, and a lot of healing gets us there. I think a lot of us are a little bit... That's a little pie in the sky, sorry, right? That's a little more, that's a little more. That's still a little scary, that's a mountain, we're all climbing a mountain. But at least there's like a path, and I feel solid. And I can sort of be on the path. Okay, that's a little more normal. So I want to leave you with this. and Let me get Tim up here. I'm hogging his time. What do you want to do? Remember every day what you're about. Don't. We'll have some wounds. We'll have some bruises. But never be wound identified. You're, you're more than your wound. I'm not just the son of an addicted father. I'm more than my wound. I'm not just somebody that had loss. I'm not somebody that's been hurt. I'm so much more than that. What really identifies you is your intention, your spirituality, your decision to be a Christian, your decision to make something out of your life. That's Genesis 1 stuff again. Every day, write this down. What is your intention? That's your, that's your fork. That's your digging in. What are you digging into? Okay? Um, what's your knife? You've got a knife. We all have things we need to cut out. Amen? We need to cut out time wasters. We need to cut out sin. We need to cut out some carbs. We need to cut out... <laughs> cut out. Cut something out. Cut something out. That's good. Control mastery. That helps you believe that you have control of your life. Significant. And we all need a spoon, which is my favorite. The thing I need more of. A little more honey, please. And that's usually something like, I need some grace. Or I need more time. Or I need to learn more. Or I need to go slower. That's okay. That helps you again get back into you and what you need for growth. 
What is it you need more of? So this is a great way to sort of organize what's your issue, what's your pain. How am I going to get to peace? These simple little things will create a nice frame for you to go from pain to peace. And I'll, you don't need that one. Okay. Tim, why don't we have, let's have Tim come on up. This is Tim Priestley. He's been a good friend for many years. I'll leave this slide up for Tim. That's you. Okay, good. Thank you, Todd. So, um, when I reflect on some of what Todd has been talking about, peace, right? Uh, something that we all want. Um, the scripture that he referred to um, from Jesus when Jesus talks about, uh, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace in this world. You're going to have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And, and so Jesus had this extreme peace about him, and he tells us to take part in that peace. And, and he says, I want you to have the peace. I want, in me, I want you to have peace. So remember me. I have overcome the world. And when we think of the stories of Jesus, he was so relaxed in what he did, right? He, he, there were times when there was a mob that was trying to kill him, and, and it says, the scriptures say he just walked through the mob and, and went on his way. There was a time where he was in this boat with the disciples. And there was this furious storm that, that was making the boat take on water. And, and the disciples were freaking out. But Jesus, where was he? He was, he was taking a nap. And he didn't wake up until the disciples woke him up said, Don't you care? Don't you care about us? He was so relaxed in, in what he did. And, uh, and, and so he bids us into that same kind of being centered. He was a non-anxious presence in the world. And I think it's because he knew who he was and he had this story that he was very confident in. And so he didn't let the story, the events that were surrounding him, throw him off. So I wanted to share uh, about my story a little bit, um, because it's probably something that has some common threads, perhaps, with your story. Um, if you would have seen me a few years ago, you probably, uh, at church, you would have seen me um, leading singing. I led the worship ministry for a while, or I led sharing at times. I, I preached sometimes. Um, I was very active. If there were, if there was a leaders meeting, I'd be there, right? If, uh, I was, uh, married and, and I had, uh, a lot of counseling, uh, marriage counseling appointments. So we, uh, my wife and I did a lot of the premarital counseling. So we were involved. I was super active in the church. Loved the church. It, uh, my life revolved around the church. And, uh, I had, we had a couple kids and got them really engaged with the church. Um, but then, uh, a few years back, our church, our local church community, went through a, a bit of a crisis. And it kind of spiraled down. And, and people were just um, uh, upset. There was a lot of conflict. People left. Um, they went to other churches. They went just, they left church altogether. And they left God. And so um, it was a really challenging time. Because, you know, for someone that the church is kind of your life, to see the church just kind of go through this this crisis was daunting. And uh, as people left, many of my friends left. Um, it, it 
kind of triggered this childhood, early childhood trauma with, with my wife. And so she then started really struggling and uh, then we started struggling and that was challenging. We went to a therapist and who we re- both really liked. The more we saw the therapist, the more we started getting uh, involved, the worse things got. And uh, so she just didn't want to be a part of the church anymore, and she didn't want to be married anymore. And so she just kind of uh, went on a journey uh, without without me and uh, without the church anymore. So she left about four years ago, and um, and then our our divorce was finalized just last summer. So um, and and then at the time, uh, and we had started a business together, and the business kind of grew organically. God blessed it over the years. Um, and then all of a sudden, a couple of years ago, we hit this major crisis where I thought, you know, we were going to have to close the doors. And it wasn't just, well, go to do something else. It was like, I close the door. If we close the doors, I've got like hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt that I'll have to figure that one out, right? So, so I didn't want to close the doors. I wanted to kind of push through it if I could. And, and so, but it's been two years of just, we're, we're on the ledge of this cliff wondering, you know, if there's one more thing that will just push us over. So, uh, um, it, so uh, my church was just in crisis. My marriage was in crisis. My business was in crisis. And it just threw me into this dark night. There are times in your life where you go through a hard time and go, I'm struggling. Right? And then, then there's times that are good times. But then there are those few times in life where it's just it's a dark night of the soul. Where you feel there there's just no more light. There's no hope. And you just feel like like I'm just... Existing, the, the, I, you know, the hope I used to have. You know, I've always believed in God. I've always kind of lived my life by that uh, song from that famous movie a while ago. Always look on the bright side of life, right? Uh, Monty Python fans. So, so it's you know that was always I was always looking on the positive side. This just put me into a space I didn't have any more positive thoughts. And the therapist, in fact, said, you know, you're too positive. You need to kind of embrace the darkness. You need to kind of be comfortable with the mess. I was like, part of me wanted to resist, but part of me knew that's right. And so I did. I just grew my beard out so it was really ugly and my kids were like, shave, dad, shave it. And I just, I, 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 I just was down. I, I felt like a ghost in my own church. I just sat in the back row. I just came late. I left early. I just was floating and I felt unnoticed. And again, the church was in crisis so people didn't really know how to care. Uh, for me, so it was just it was really challenging um, through the darkness, through embracing kind of the pain, it was transformative. I, I got to a point where my faith the faith that i 've always had that i 've always loved it didn 't fit anymore, and I felt like, oh no, something 's happening, and it was scary, right because I clung to God, I love God. But how I saw God just didn't work. I did all the right things. I thought, I made some mistakes, almost lost a business because of it. But I felt like I, 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 I had a good heart. I wanted to do what was right. And things didn't work out the way I had always grown up. Hey, if you do it this way, then you'll have a nice, happy marriage. Didn't work, right? So, um, I had to refit, I had to reform my faith, what I believed. 
And um, now I see God in a whole new way. I see myself in a whole new way. I see the world in a whole new way. And so it's been so transformative, um, kind of embracing the pain, seeing my story in a new light that... I look back and I, I, I have friends that have gone through divorce and they're so bitter toward, you know, the, the marriage, toward their ex. And yet I don't want to be like that. So I look at my marriage and I really see those 18 years of being a gift. It was God, it was really challenging at times, but God healed. God allowed us to give. And I, I'm so grateful. I feel like that journey was an honor for me to walk down. And I really honor my, my ex-wife, and, and I feel like that was a gift. But similarly, when I look at my divorce and, and the years of just the, the darkness, but the transformation, I, I now carry my divorce as a gift. And it was an honor for me to go through that time because it transformed me. I would not be where I, I am today without that pain and that suffering. And um, in fact, if you would tell me, Tim, go back four or five years and there's a split in your path and this one is where you stay married and you continue to serve the church and, and heal and help and be successful. And then there's this path where your marriage dissolves, where you go through this dark night, where you are a failure and yet experience that transformation. Which path? I would have to say this, this is the right path. This is my path. This is what I want. Even though it just almost destroyed me i see like the uh the pottery the the kintsugi uh god reforms you with gold accents and uh i I believe it and when you have that kind of a story you can be fully at peace and centered you can walk into any room where i used to be nervous what do people think of me i'm i'm an introvert and so i'm always just like you know what are people thinking and i i want to kind of be on the exterior you know i'm still an introvert and yet i'm at peace with that i'm at peace with who i am uh because i have a sense of story and not just a story, but God's story. God is throughout my story, giving me gifts, giving me miracles every day. And so I believe that as we see God just breaking through our stories every year, every month, every day, breaking through the crises, the the hard times, the, the conflicts, when we see God at work, it does give us a sense of confidence and security. It allows us to nap in times of storm. It allows us to be uh, really uh, at one with God. And Jesus said, um, I and you and you and me, it becomes a part of who you are. So, 
when Tim went through this a couple of years ago, we were really nervous, afraid for him. Who thinks Tim's going to be okay? Yeah. Because when he speaks, a hundred billion failures disappear. So we have ten-ish minutes, I think, for a little Q&A. We want to get you out by about 11.15. I think the next class starts at 11.30. So um, we said a lot. Hope we didn't flood you. Um, any comments or uh, questions? We'll go, let's go one, two, three, and then I'll move over here. What helped me overcome cutting? That was really hard because it's weird. It's almost easier to just say, well, I'm an alcoholic, and it's a little easier. I think what I had to learn to do is I didn't... Denial sort of the first step, and that's a little bit of your AA thing there, right, is you got to realize that you're powerless to something and you're out of control. And so really the first thing was talking and telling somebody that I was really out of control, kind of dangerously out of control. I... I did hit an artery once and almost killed myself. So I think it was, for any addict, there's this willpower thing that you go through. Anybody try and resist, right? you got to muscle through something. That usually doesn't work very well. And we've got a psychological term for that. The thing you resist usually persists. So I don't mean to be crude, but the campus guys, we used to do this all the time. In a great effort, in the right effort to be pure. Right, guys? I didn't get a, a, very much of an amen. <laughs> we would be telling each other every day, don't think about girls. Don't think about lust. Be pure. Be pure. Don't think about boobs. Don't think about rear ends. Be pure. Be pure. Are you being pure? The thing you resist persists. What are you thinking about? Don't think about the red truck. Thinking about, the, thinking about the red truck. So the thing that the addict has to do is fall in love with something else. You really have to care about something else more because willpower doesn't work very well. And, and it's a replacing with, cause something's become an idol. There's something you're used to. There's something you're familiar with. There's something that you love. Addicts love their thing. And it's how they cope. So you have to love something more than. That's a good challenge for you. Okay. Yes, Navi. Yeah. That's really good to hear. Yeah. That's so good to hear. Usually we've been hurt and we throw up a lot of emotional and psychological wall armor. We sort of armor ourselves. But it keeps us in that accelerated on state and so when EMDR works it does allow you to go into the parasympathetic and it is that you're able to experience peace um, the, the feeling safe and if you get to a place where you believe you're safe and I think that should be the experience for all Christians but not a lot of Christians feel like that 
It's transformative. So, uh-oh, what do I do? This is weird. I'm not kind of freaking out every day. You'll get some more chaos. But life will feel more like growth and not white-knuckling and sort of gripping through the day. And so that's why I like that intentional thing. What's a new goal? And what do I want to grow in? What do I want to develop in? What do I want to add into me and my story? You get to fill out your story in a better, healthier way. But a lot of us think we need that because even though it's negative energy, it's still energy. And lots of times that energy actually makes us work hard and be productive. That's a dangerous relationship. And you got to unplug negative energy with motivation, if that makes sense. And um, One, two, and then I'll go over here. Yeah. 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 That's great. That's great. When I first started talking about depression, I had a brother go, I think you might have a demon. And I was like, Amen. It's not me. It's something else. What a relief. <laughs> do I go to the dentist? How do I get this thing out? You know, what do you do? I think initially, because it makes people nervous, it's a little like grief. Oh, my mom just died. What happens to the other person? Like, oh, man. Uh, what do I say? Um, um, uh, life's for the living. Um, you know, take care of yourself. We don't know what to say. The first thing is just being present. What are you going through? Just... It, just describe your experience. And lots of times, they don't have language for it. I know I didn't. It took me a while. And so if you can just listen, and sometimes that feels weird for us, felt weird for me as a therapist at first, because you always want to be fixing. And if you're a hammer, which is how I sort of saw myself before, then everything looks like a nail. And learning how to listen and be with them, um, I'm really hurting. Here's these thoughts. It sounds a little crazy. Look, you're safe with me. What do you need? Do you need some professional help? Do you need just a friend? Do you need, um, I don't know, what do you think you need? Do you know anybody else that's gone through this? Is there somebody we can call? I just don't want you to be alone. That is transformative. Because lots of times we don't have the answer, but being alone is terrifying. And so if I can share my story and I'm not alone, for the Christian community, that's awesome. And the Christian community should not feel like they have to fix everybody's depression or anxiety. Just, you're not alone. It's okay. It's okay not to be okay. Amen? 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 But it's not okay not to get help. That's So I think that's the sort of balance or frame that I try and use. Good question. Thank you. Yes? So first of all, I appreciate both of you sharing your story. I have had my personal darkness prior to recovery, and a lot of the responses that I received were very, very challenging. And uh, it made me struggle as a Christian because people do not know what to say, and they say it happens. Things and a language of things that when you are not in darkness, you 
you have no idea what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And because of what happened to me, I have a very high tolerance of mercy, compassion, and love. And so I would like if you can give insight because until someone has been in that space, you do not know what it is like. I mean, you feel like you're in, like there's this hole and you can't, a ladder can't get you out. Yeah. And people want to say things that they think are nice. Right. So, and to be quite honest, I was not a godly disciple during that time. And I was like in people's face with stuff. And that is hurtful. Mm-hmm. And I just want to know, is there a way you can share of uh, people that are not aware or understanding of what that space is like, how you can be loving and encourage a person without saying something that is just like, what the heck? Excellent. Yeah, so uh, there's this ancient Jewish tradition called sitting Shiva. And it's uh, when a relative or loved one dies, everyone comes around that person and will just for seven days just sit with them and not say a word. Unless they're spoken to, they'll just sit with that person. And it's a, it's actually something in Job, his friends did the same thing. Um, there, there's this sense that pe- we need connection, but sometimes that connection, it, it, there's almost an anxiety when people are trying to get you not to feel the, the turmoil. They'll say things because they're anxious. And so I think we've got to just realize you know, pain, turmoil, it's uncomfortable and it's okay. People need you to be there, but they don't necessarily need you to say, always look on the bright side of life. You know, they don't, they don't need that. It, it, it actually, you know, creates more turmoil and wants them to create a separation. But we're, if we're able to just be there, maybe ask questions, just sit with them in the pain, it's so uncomfortable. But if we can allow ourselves to do that for someone else, that's what's really healing. Yeah. I think we have to remember that kindness and gentleness is actually a fruit of the Spirit, which was, again, something I had to learn. Hammer guy had to learn that. (laughs) And so, like, what don't you to say to somebody that's having some real anxiety? Just get over it. Stop worrying. Just move on. Why, why are you holding on to that thing? Um, just deny yourself. Get on the cross. Everybody's got a cross. You should share your faith and be in a Bible study. You're so selfish. You're so focused. You're self- Don't tell these people this. They're going to stop talking to you immediately. And talk to therapist, which is okay. But we want to be able to talk to each other. So... Again, the listening and the understanding. I like narrative stuff because it helps sort of... Anxiety and depression have a way, back to TMO, creating a lot of chaos. How do I organize these thoughts? They're so heavy. Uh, what's what's the story of your anxiety? When does it show up? What's What happens when it shows up? What do you feel in your body when it shows up? When anxiety is not there... What's it like? What are your thoughts like? What's your body like? When depression's not there, what, what, what do you notice? When depression shows up, what, what happens to you? And again, just sort of understanding, helping them externalize. And again, then they can build kind of a relationship with it. It's not, it's a, it's a, it's, it is. It's a busted circuit in the brain. But if they can externalize it and call it Fred 
oh, Fred shows up and I get really angry and mad at people. I got to build a different relationship with Fred. Oh, that's different. You have a little more control. So narrative stuff, making a story out of it, I think helps a lot. Thank you. Let's go uh, one and two in the back and three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Great. I'd love your thoughts on this. So Christian counseling is really sort of growing right now. And i got a great friend, Mac Newman, L.A. He moved up to Seattle and he's part of Seattle Christian Counseling. And when you go to a Christian therapist, Bible and truth should be a part of the framework of treatment. And, and prayer, which is great. And I think that is what a lot of Christians really seek and like. I did go to a therapist that wasn't a Christian and that was a unique experience to try and explain to somebody some of my um, bad church experience. And they have a hard time understanding it. Like, you seem like an intelligent person. Why are you, why are you there? Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. I wasn't ready for that question. Let me think about that. Homework. Um, but it's actually... She was very kind. It just helped me think through. I am here for a reason. We're still a really young church. We have a lot to grow in. Oh, we need more people that have been wounded and sort of come back in. And, oh, we've got to add something to our community. We have a lot to learn. So that's a great question. I prefer Christian counseling, but I'd love a good counselor will help a lot. So over the course of my marriage, we saw about seven different therapists. So I'll tell you. You can have bad Christian therapists yeah. and really good non-Christian. So it really kind of depends. It, it really, you have to ask and get referral. That I think that's the best way to go. Who who is seen? More and more people are seeing therapists, and they can give you a good recommendation. I would say. I think one last thing on that too. So much of it is about rapport. I don't. Yeah. There's a few experts. They write a few books. There's not that many of them, to be honest with you. A lot of it's just who you feel comfortable with. I'm going to tell this person all my secrets and all my stuff and. Is that who I want to do that way? You're in control. Uh, in the back, yeah, yeah. That was a guy named Richard Rohr, R-O-H-R. And that book, he's, he's used that phrase a couple of times. It comes from Everything Belongs. And he references it in another book called Falling Upwards, which is a great thing. Felix Culpa, Falling Upwards. EMDR. Uh, eye movement. Desensitization. Desensitization. Uh, reprocessing. Yeah, good, thank you. One more, and then I think we've got to go to class. Yeah, Raymond. That's called denial. Yeah. 
of things to deal with. I think for me, I get really overwhelmed and I just shut down because that's like there's all this drama and there's all this trauma and there's all this pain. And I know, as someone who's an educator and looking at it, I know I have to deal with it. But I'm like, it gets so overwhelming that I'm like, where do I even start? I don't know how to do it. So I just. But then I feel, I'm meeting myself up and like, you have to deal with it. Like, it's yeah. Away. Yeah. And I don't want to be like yeah. people in my life who haven't dealt with anything in their life ever. Yeah. And so now the reason they're in the mess they're in yeah. is because of that. Mm. But I, it's, so how about one, how do I deal with it? And then just like the people in my life who are very close to you, who they are not on a path or they are, where they have the belief that they should deal with it. I think this is helpful for you and them, and it's my Marie Kondo moment. I'm not a real clean, organized person. That's my wife. But this is so helpful. Organize, organize, organize. Organize, organize, organize. The brain's going to be full of all your stressors. ABC. Call them ABC. Do I have a good strategy? What's my strategy for A? What's my strategy for B? What's my strategy for C? Do I have help? A, B, See, if you just sort of organize, first start with organizing and help other people organize as well. What is, why all this negative emotion? What do you call it? Negative emotion is almost never one thing. It's almost always two or three things that remind you of three or four other things. And then you're spinning. So organize, organize, organize. Maybe list it or chart it or little pictures of it. Something like that I think helps because the brain is conceptual and it can see it and it provides a little bit of relief. I hope that's helpful. But let's pause there because we went a little bit over. Thank you, everybody. You've just listened to the Elevate Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.